This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there and a very warm welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. Packed show ahead. We'll preview Nashville SC with a former friend of ours. You might recognise his voice in the second segment. First though, Kindra, let's talk all about Minnesota United against FC Cincinnati. A 2-0 victory for the Loons. Um, not the most convincing performance, it's safe to say, but as I've heard you say many times, a win is a win, and it's exactly what the Loons needed. Yeah, and I mean, you and I were walking out of the stadium that night out of Allianz Field, and we both kind of felt like this weird, it was almost like you were unsatisfied because you got the win, you got the three points, which is ultimately what every team needs. That's what Adrian had said, you know, said post-game as well. But you just felt like there was something Something missing that wasn't the quality that we expect from Minnesota United, from this roster, and from this group. Um, and it wasn't the same as the Real Salt Lake game because the Real Salt Lake game, you know, you end up with a draw, but the chances that were created were stunning, you know, and you just didn't finish it. Whereas in this game, you know, you didn't create even create the quality of chances that I think we expect from this side, in particular with the Kai Kamara, with the Emmanuel Reynoso, and with the attacking pieces, Robin Lord, who had a couple. Um, opportunities, but just was a little off uh, on Saturday night. So, yeah, I, I kind of I kind of left unsatisfied, even though you got the three points. And you're right. Ultimately, that is what matters. And Adrian, he said it afterwards. He's pleased with the result, but not pleased with the performance. And quick turnaround. So not a lot of time to sit here and watch tape and try to fix anything. You got to move on to the next one. Um, no doubt about it. Kai Kamara will be delighted to get himself off the mark in Minnesota United colours. Kendra, as a as a former player yourself, how, how much will that help his confidence moving forward? <laughs> Not that he, he needs any boosting of his confidence. He's a confident fellow as Kai Kamara. But um, having that pressure on your shoulder coming in, knowing that you are expected to score goals, to finally get that first one, it must be a bit of a relief for him. It will be a massive relief. And I don't know that he would ever admit that because you're right. He is a confident fellow. And, um, but we know goal scorers like to score goals and that's what, that's what makes them feel like they're contributing. So even if your team gets the win and gets the three points and he hadn't scored a goal, you'd be happy that the team got the result, but there's something about those number nines and those true goal scorers that to, to really feel like they're contributing to the cause, they need to be the ones putting it in the back of the net. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was, I was a little surprised it was Kai Kamara stepping into the spot and not Reynoso. And I don't know if that's a previous discussion. There's always this conversation, right? That you should know who your penalty kick taker is. You should have a choice one, two, and three heading into the match. So if that person's not on the pitch, that person's not available. Somebody else steps up and takes it. But I, I wasn't sure who it was going to be because let's, let's be honest, Reynoso also needs to get his goal. And you can sense, I felt, I shouldn't say you could sense, I felt like I could sense some frustration in that match of just that final quality, whether it was with himself, whether it was with his teammates, more animated than I'd ever seen Reynoso in the couple games that we've seen him now. But he also wants to get that weight off his shoulders as being the biggest transfer fee by nearly 50% in Minnesota United history. Um, so I don't know if that was a previous discussion that Kai Kamara was going to be the penalty taker because neither of them was the player fouled. Um, but nonetheless, Kai Kamara gets the goal, his first in Minnesota United colors. He'll feel good about that. And, uh, you know, a win is a win is a win. Then came on number seven, who scored goal number seven for his season. Um, not quite the seven goals that Minnesota amassed against FC Cincinnati the last time these two sides had played prior to this game. Um, but nevertheless, what the goal did is it provided comfort for Minnesota United and perhaps another sigh of relief to, to many watching on because, as we've discussed in the past, Kendra, when Kevin Molino gets an injury, you are always wondering, aren't you, how long is he going to be out for? But he came on, got his goal, and ultimately gave Minnesota the win. Well, and he did exactly what we all know Kevin Molino can do. And we've had these discussions time and time again about the quality of Kevin Molino and how good he can be. And he is in this league when he is healthy and is on the pitch. It's just a matter of staying healthy and being on the pitch. And you could see it from the second he stepped on the field, his quality, his ability to combine, his ability to slide right in with Reynoso, Robin Lud, you know, Hassani Dotson, whoever it is that's on the field alongside of him and try to create and combine. And instead he gets the goal and 
himself. And he's so calm on the ball, calm in tight spaces, calm in the finishing, passes at home, doesn't try to do too much, just very simple. So um, crazy that he's still the leading scorer of Minnesota United, even with all the games that he has missed this year in time he has missed with injury. But that is just, it speaks to the volumes of Kevin Molino, his effectiveness and his, I don't know what his goals per minutes are right now, but it's got to be pretty high um, considering what he's been able to do. And they, they need him on the field. They need him on the pitch. And everyone was excited to see him and Robin and Reynoso together. And if, you know, they get Ethan Finley back at some point to, to include him in the mix, because I think that could be something really special. Let me go back to the incident that uh, gave Minnesota the opportunity for their first goal and the penalty. Chase Gasper was the player taken down um, after VAR and uh, a little bit of a uh, discussion. The penalty was awarded. I've gone back and looked at it, Kate, and, and I'll, I'll be totally honest. Uh, there's no malice, there's no ill intent from Mathieu Duplanya, but it, it, it gets worse every time you look at it. There wasn't even a yellow card given out to the Frenchman, to our knowledge. The more I look at it, the more I'm thinking, why wasn't a red card given there? Yeah, and I think, you know, as you rewatch it and we saw Chase come off the pitch later with some blood on his sock, because in real time, I wasn't sure what the how the timing played out. How, who got to the ball first? What was he going for? No one really technically had possession. It was a ball kind of out in front. And it seemed like, did they both lunge at the same time and Chase happened to get to, their, to it first and then Deplania comes down second and on top of Chase's ankle. But we've seen that, I feel like, the other direction against Chase when he's defending and getting a card in that situation where you're you're just trying to go all out as a defender and you're trying to make a play, so you're lunging for the ball. And, you know, if you don't come up with the ball, if you don't get to it first, you are making a dangerous play. You are put, even if you, it's, it's like Jan Gregush when he swung, Right. Like, he didn't even make contact, but it's still a dangerous play. It's a violent conduct, and I almost feel it's the same way watching that that lunging play by Deplania. Like, there needed to be a card there, no doubt. And you have an absolute argument for a red card in this situation, but the fact that no card at all was given, which is crazy because it's a dangerous play inside the box and a penalty was awarded. I don't understand how it's at least a yellow card in that situation. And you would think on review... Now, you can't review yellows, right? Correct. So, like, they couldn't have watched the video to make sure it was a penalty and then give a yellow card. Correct. Yes, yes, correct. Okay. To my knowledge, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I, I could see absolutely the argument for a red card. Um, I, I wouldn't have had a problem if there was a yellow card, honestly, but it just blows my mind that there was no card at all because I don't think that does it did the play justice and the situation. And when you, you can't just lunge willy nilly at a player. And if you just, Oh, sorry, I didn't get the ball. I've got your ankle instead, but it wasn't intentional. Yeah. You know, then it's, I, I think that the referee maybe got that one a little bit wrong and, and should have made a decision for some sort of a card. There needed to be a yellow or a red and, you know, in real time in the position he's at on the field, he should be able to make that decision without having to look at it again. Yeah. For me, I think um, it's a red card because he, he essentially he comes over the ball and the way that he catches Chase Gasper's ankle, um, if he goes with any more, and I'm talking about a couple of inches more excessive force. Broken ankle. Broken ankle. Yes. I, I must admit, when I first mm -hmm. saw the contact, mm -hmm. I did think to myself, I, I mean, is, is Chase's ankle in a bit of bother here? I, I thought to myself, is it broken? You know, at the very, very least... I thought to myself, there's going to be some severe bruising there. And Ugh. we know that he'll miss the game against Nashville yes. because of yellow card accumulation. Probably the, the best thing for him right now to give him a chance to recover from that challenge. Yeah, and you and I talked about that leaving the stadium as well. I mean, it may have just kind of worked out as a blessing in disguise because I don't think he would have been available. And now this resets his yellow card accumulation. So now he's missing a game that he may have missed anyways. It gives him an opportunity to rest and not even travel to Nashville and his yellow card accumulation resets. So I think that's going to be important for him and um, you know, it's funny that you say that too. Cause I mean, again, you know, I, I get the wrath sometimes of my husband the second mm -hmm. I call him when I get in the car and he wants to discuss the whole game and, 
and review everything. And he said the same thing. He said, without a doubt, that should have been a red card and it was definitely a penalty and that it should, you know, that should have been the call on the field and no hesitation and no questions asked. So he's in the exact same boat as you. And I do think a card opportunity was missed for sure. And Chase is lucky. And hopefully, hopefully there isn't um, any residual effect aside from the fact that he's going to be sore. He needs some rest. I mean, hopefully there was no ligament issue where there's Mm no severe enough swelling that it keeps him out longer than the Tuesday game, which he's missing already. Yeah, I just... It still baffles me. The referee didn't show any sort of card for the challenge on De Plania, uh, from De Plania rather. And uh, either way, look, we, we move on. And um, Minnesota, in the end, uh, didn't need Cincinnati to go down to 10 men because they looked comfortable enough. But what I will say is all credit where credit's due. FC Cincinnati perhaps giving Adrian Heath a little bit of a fright. Yeah, for sure. And let's remember that the first goal that Minnesota did score was a penalty early in the match. And then aside from that, they really didn't show a ton of life from an attacking standpoint, in my opinion, down the stretch until Kevin Molino stepped on the field and got that goal. They had the bulk of the possession and they had uh, actually did they end up in the end having less possession? Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, then it, it didn't feel like that from that standpoint. But I thought FC Cincinnati actually looked really good at times coming through the middle. Um, they were Greg Garza looked better than I remember seeing him so far this season. I know they had some changes in their lineup. They This may be a good sign for Yopstam that this 4-3-3 that he wants to switch to, that he wants to play, um, can work with the central players. And you were right. I think Locadia is better off to the side. I don't think he sits central well. It's like he doesn't know where to make those runs as a number nine. I think he is better just slightly off center in that attacking three. And then he's better off creating. He had more chances once he switched to the outside with that substitution than I think he had the entire match. Yeah, he's, um, for me, always someone who's looked a lot better cutting in from that mm-hmm. left-hand side. As I said before, I can't remember if I said it on this podcast or, or, or what, but I remember seeing him play for PSV Eindhoven uh, doing a game there, and, and I thought he was magnificent cutting in from that side. But look, either way, maybe Yapstam has, has now figured that out. I, I, I know Yapstam said to the press afterwards he was pleased with the performance. I, I think with FC Cincinnati playing like that, if they play like that at home against uh, an inferior opposition, I see no reason why they won't pick up a couple of wins. Um, and let's be honest as well, Kate, it's not like they didn't have their chances as well. Dane St. Clair making some spectacular saves. Yep, and that's what I was just going to say too. All of a sudden, it really felt, especially in the second half for me, that they found a little life. It was like the longer Minnesota United let them hang around. They started to get some of their mojo and some of the quality in the final third of creating chances while there was services coming in or shots from distance. Um, I felt like there was some service in the box. There was some good things happening and and Dane St. Clair, the header by Locadia from close range. I mean, that's a quality, quality save from Dane St. Clair. So there were some good things, and you can maybe see why they have only eight goals, seven if you don't count an own goal. I have not watched all of every match, but there may have been plenty of other matches where they've gotten the chances and just not been able to finish, um, depending on the situation. But um, they looked more lively in the final third than I I remember seeing, especially in that MC Cincinnati game where there was, or the uh, NYCFC game where there was nothing. Nothing for them. So, you know, I think that's what Yapstam has said. He's got to take some positive from each match. They've got to take the good things and, and try to build on those and, um, you know, correct the mistakes. And and I uh, I thought actually Kendall Waston um, in that center back pairing looked looked okay. I thought they'd covered well. The only time I really thought there was a real misstep was, well, two times. Kevin Molino's goal, where it just looked like nobody was stepping to the ball. The goal, Their goalkeeper came up with some brilliant saves. And then the Robin Lud threw, threw ball in the first half where they completely got beat out of position and Robin Lud just wasn't able to capitalize himself or pass it across to uh, a finish with Kai Kamara. But all in all, I think FC Cincinnati looked better than I expected. Yeah, it could be an interesting watch for the next couple of years, FC Cincinnati, especially if they add a certain attacking right-back. It is the transfer deadline day in England and across the majority of Europe today. Um, It's been rumoured before, but I think now with it being deadline day, it's probably appropriate to talk about the possible acquisition of DeAndre Yedlin at the moment at Newcastle United, the USA right-back. Not getting as much playing time as he would want. He has suitors in Europe. I know that for a fact, having spoken to to several agents over the course of the last couple of weeks. But there has been reports suggesting that he's had a conversation with Major League Soccer to return. Now, because of the way he left the league for a transfer fee, he has to come back via the allocation order process. At the moment, 
FC Cincinnati are at the top unless they trade that pick with, let's say, Seattle Sounders, for example, his former stomping grounds. But if I'm FC Cincinnati right now, Kendra, I'm keeping hold of it. And if this is a possibility that DeAndre Edlin comes back to Major League Soccer and you get a Premier League defender, this would be a fabulous acquisition, would it not? It would be huge. Um, I think... I think it's really going to depend on what DeAndre Yedlin wants at this point in his career. Um, I don't know the English other clubs that are interested in him, but the fact that he's getting less and less time at Newcastle and that he is quite possibly the current starting right back uh, for the U.S. men's national team if he came back into the fold and if he was fit, um, as you and I and, and our producer Morgan were talking about earlier, because he's not getting a ton of minutes. What does he want in his career at this point? Where does he want to be? What is, how does he see his future playing out? Does he want to come home? I mean, maybe there's just a piece of it that sometimes they just want to return to the United States. They just want to be back home. They've been gone a long time. Then they want minutes and they're willing and excited to be part of this league now, because I do think that's a huge piece of the, of it. It's the player's mindset as well, coming back to MLS. I mean, he was with the Sounders, but that was a long time ago now. So how is he embracing this league, embracing a new challenge, returning home? You have to really um, embrace all those things and, and accept that quite possibly your European career is done. And I don't know if he's in that spot yet. Should FC Cincinnati take him? If he does choose to come back and they're first in the allocation order, hands down, no hesitation, yes. If I'm Yapstam and I'm that staff and I'm FC Cincinnati, I'm saying absolutely, we take this right back. He is a massive asset to our club. He can contribute to what we want to do. Um, he's got plenty of legs in life left in him and ability on the ball and to get forward and to be a threat offensively. I would say yes, absolutely do not trade away that that top spot in the allocation order. But for me, it's really going to be more about where is Yedlin's head at? Where mm. is he in his career? Because we, I, I do think it's a challenge for some of these guys to accept that that career, that dream of playing overseas and in, in the Premier League, which he's done, is is over now because you don't usually come back here and then go back there um, in, that, in this position in this time in his career. So uh, I think he'd be a huge asset to FC Cincinnati, and they need all the help they can get from a, a piecing it together standpoint going forward. And I would love to see DeAndre Yedlin back in this league. I think he would do wonders for the league, wonders for that club and whatever club would get him. I hope it's not Seattle because the rich just keep getting richer if that's the case, if, if they somehow uh, got that – piece of the puzzle from him but um or from the allocation order but i i would love to see yedlin back here and, and we'll see what he decides he's 27 28 now um i know there's interest from a couple of teams in france um one particular big club in holland as well um so you have to ask yourself there kindra as you've alluded to what what does the player want to do and at 27 28 as well would it not make sense for him and this is Purely speculation here, by the way. I, I, myself and Kendra just talking about this, but would it make sense if you're him to perhaps hold on to it for as long as you can? Because we've seen players come back at, at 30, which is still a good age to, to come and play here. Um, I think the days are gone when you can come and play here at 35 now that they don't exist anymore. Unless Messi decided well, to that's, come. Yeah, different story, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but um, would it not make sense to go and perhaps play somewhere else? Um, and look, I, I'm as big of an advocate for this league as, as they come, but but I also understand from a world footballing sense that, that the reason why other leagues are attractive, particularly to young Americans who still want to go and perhaps prove a point, um, would it make sense to go and play in France or, or for one of the big teams in Holland and then come back at the age of 30, 31? Because... I guess my point here, Kendra, is is that it seems as though Major League Soccer is always going to be an option for DeAndre Yedlin, whether he comes now or in a couple of years' time. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think it depends on what, how much he's playing in those other leagues with those other clubs. And we're assuming that he's going to go somewhere and get more playing time than he currently is at Newcastle. And that might be the pitch and the promise if, if another club in one of those other countries, whether it's France or Holland, signs him. But he still has to go there and earn his spot and prove that he belongs in the starting 11 or even, uh, you know, in the mix consistently off the bench for quality minutes. So, you know, I, I'm sure he's always got one eye kind of on the U.S. men's national team and being fit and ready to play for them 
Um, and so wherever he goes, he's going to need to get quality minutes, you know, and, and again, no disrespect to MLS because this league is on the up and up for sure in the quality, but could he go to one of those other leagues and play for a solid team and get good quality and be fit and playing at a very high level for the next two or three years before he would return to MLS? Hands down, no question, yes. But I think it's going to depend on what kind of minutes is he going to get in one of those clubs. If he's going to go over there to another club and not get minutes right what's then, the point you might as well right come back. exactly yeah. you might as well and i also and you know this is purely we're purely speculating on a football soccer yeah. perspective yeah. we have no idea what his family situation is and if he just does want to come home if he's just ready to come home and give up or i shouldn't say give up but be done with that that dream of a playing part of his life yeah exactly and you know because he, he could say i've been there done that i've done it i've proven myself in these other places i'm not playing a ton right now but i've done what i wanted to do but maybe there is more left in him um from that perspective from a dream perspective because he is only 28 and he could easily come back here at 30 31 and play in this league because i do think he'll still be a very quality player especially with his position and his build and um his work rate and what he seems to do i think he could step right in at a club here at that age. Talking of quality or lack thereof, let's talk about LA Galaxy, the basement dwellers of the Western Conference at the moment. You made a very good point earlier on. Javier Hernandez has come back into the starting 11 and they do not look anywhere near as good as they have done when he's not in that 11. Why is that? Man, and how many times have we seen this with different clubs where, and especially I think in MLS because they sign big money attacking players, big names, and it completely changes the way the team plays around them. We saw it with Zlatan. You know, it's just that Zlatan was able to convert and score. So even if his team around him wasn't playing as good when he's on the pitch because they deferred to him, he was getting the job done. Well, now the team around LA Gal- with LA Galaxy, around Chicharito, around Javier Hernandez, doesn't play as well when he's on the pitch, but he's not scoring the goals. He's not the one getting the job done and still keeping his team in the game, in the mix, um, game in and game out. And, I, I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen it, and, and I just don't know. I mean, I guess I, I thought Chicharito would be better, and maybe, again, it's just time. He missed a ton of time with injury. He came into the fold. The expectations were there, but he didn't look quality as, as high of a quality as I expect from him. And they were clicking. This LA Galaxy side had finally found their groove when they got crushed after the tournament. Everyone, well, I was talking about Guillermo Barros-Coloto. Should he even still be the coach? Should he get fired? What's the deal here? Does he fit? And they then they turned it around, and they were clicking. They looked good from an attacking standpoint. They were able to cover up a lot of their defensive issues, their defensive mistakes. They were scoring goals. They were buzzing. They were using some of their young guys. And now you throw um, Javier Hernandez, Chicharito back in the mix, and they are back down in the basement. And what did we say? They've lost three or four straight or uh, winless in three or four straight. They do not look good. And it's not just – they're not just losing one nothing on a freak goal. I mean, they do not look good. They look back to MLS's back quality. They look back, you know, back to um, prior to the shutdown quality. And it is not good right now for LA Galaxy. And they've got a lot to sort out. But what do you do? What do you do when you bring in a player like that and they're healthy to play? And, but your team is worse with them on the field. I, I don't know what you do as a club, as a coach. That is a conundrum. It is. And talking of conundrums, finally, Kendra – DC United losing at home 4-0 to Atlanta United, who have their own problems, let's remember. What on earth is going wrong at DC United? I don't want to say it's as simple as a coaching change because I'm not saying that Ben Olsen is at fault for everything that's going wrong with this club on the pitch. There is an element always of... You know, you have a plan, you have a game plan, you have a tactical plan, you do training, and then it's the player's responsibility to execute it once they get on the pitch. But there is something to be said for just you need a change. If if his voice is falling on deaf ears, and I have no idea if that's the case. I'm not in that locker room. I don't know anybody in at DC United that I have any inside scooper information on the feel of that club, but he has been there a very long time. And I just think DC United needs to change things up. It may be Ben Olsen. His time is done. He's had some good years there, 
but they do not seem, they can't even get the roster card right right now <laughs> with their substitutions. That's one of, there's a sign that just something is not quite right. You're not dotting your I's and crossing your T's in the correct manner. And his voice may just not be resonating with the, the players anymore. And there's, I, in my opinion, there needs to be a change. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes on what's happening on the coaching situation at Why DC. still win 5 nothing this, yeah. <laughs> this week or something? Given how 2020 has gone, yeah. Right, well, next up, uh, we'll be speaking all about Nashville SC and joined by a familiar voice to you all. Jamie Watson, the analyst of Nashville SC, joins us next on the Match Preview podcast. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And a very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. Very busy time in the world of Major League Soccer. Games coming thick and fast, so we thought we needed a little bit of help from an old friend to help preview the next Minnesota United game away to Nashville SC. Joining us live now is a familiar face and a familiar voice to you all. Once a sideline analyst for us at Minnesota United. Now in the booth at Nashville, Jamie Watson joins us. Jamie, how are you? Oh, it's so good to hear your voice again on this podcast, Cal. It's been too long. I'm great. Thank you so much, Cal and Kendra, for having me back on as we get ready for Minnesota United and Nashville SC. Yeah, it's going to be an intriguing game, no doubt about it, Jay. Tell us so far then. Obviously, 2020 has been somewhat of an anomaly for just about everybody in world football. Um, not exactly easy in an expansion year either. What has it been like over the course of the last nine months for Nashville SC? Oh boy, do we have enough time? Um, you know, it's uh, it's been stop start with an expansion season that started out on the highest of highs. You had the home opener on February 29th that saw the largest attendance in the state of Tennessee to ever see a soccer game: fifty nine thousand sixty nine people. Saw uh, an enticing match. It had everything you could possibly want: the tailgates, the pregame festivities, the parties in and around the stadium, in the stadium. Um, and then after that week, we had a devastating tornado here in Nashville, and the club anthem "Never Give Up on You," which had kind of been this incredible moment in the stadium that was taking shape to be sort of the song that you hear you know, after the game and sort of that, that, that Wonderwall-esque type song for the club, well, took a whole new shape on because it really started to resonate with the citizens and with the community because it was picking back up and the community not giving up on each other and helping each other. So it really cemented the club very quickly with the community um, and their MLS Obviously, they've got a deep-rooted connection over the past couple of years in the US World Championship, but it's just it accelerated within the first week after the first match. Then you go on the road to Portland, and then everything stops after week two, as you know. Then you build back up towards MLS's back, right? And there's this excitement around that, a second sort of preseason to build into that, which obviously Minnesota United were fantastic in the tournament, but Nashville SC, much like FC Dallas, unable to partake in that tournament. So then you come back down off the low of that. You've got to pick yourself back up. Gary Smith, the manager here, has to do that again for a third time, build into a third preseason before the restart in phase one return to play. And the group has handled it really, really well. They've responded really well. They're getting better and better as the games go on. Um, they've only had one loss now in their last eight matches. So picking up points and uh, to date, through the first 14 games, no expansion team has ever had a better defensive record. They've only conceded um, 14 goals with six shutouts. I mean, it's uh, it's been remarkable how well this uh, this team has responded to so much adversity in the year. And look, everybody's had adversity, right? That's the that's the key buzzword. That and unprecedented. It has been unprecedented. There has been a ton of adversity, and it's been amazing to see how well Nashville has responded each time they've been called upon. Well, and Jamie, in the midst of everything you just talked about, the unprecedented nature of 2020 and the craziness that everyone is dealing with and then being an expansion club on top of it, you know, your your head coach, Gary Smith, is trying to also build a roster and deal with these 
wonky transfer windows and everything else. So how important to have players like a Dax McCarty, like a Walker Zimmerman bend to this roster to kind of solidify the group, to keep everybody on the same page during all this? Yeah, good question, Gidger. I think um, when you look at each expansion team that comes into Major League Soccer, I feel like each team tries to learn from the team before and the team before that and the team before that. So you look at how Atlanta United built their roster, right? You look at how Minnesota United built their roster. And then each team from there tries to sort of figure out, okay, what do we want to do? How do we want to go through the first season? And Mike Jacobs, the general manager here at Gary Smith, they keyed in on a lot of MLS veterans and said, these are the guys that we really want to build the spine of our club, kind of that, that nucleus of the first season and establish sort of a base. So they go out and they get Dax McCarty, which was a steal of the transfer to go and get him uh, from Chicago and make him the captain. And he's really solidified the midfield. Then just behind him, you've got Walker Zimmerman. They break the record transfer fee, which I think was Ike Opara. Um, the record fee, you saw how well that worked out for Minnesota United, uh, getting the Defender of the Year award in Major League Soccer. Walker Zimmerman is having a, a season in which he's justified every penny of that record transfer fee from LAFC. And conversely, look at where LAFC is now without Walker Zimmerman. You get Dave Romney next to him. Those two have formed a very formidable partnership. They played every minute so far this season. Joe Willis just behind him, who's just got a sixth clean sheet. And then you start to kind of look and see that's the, that's the spine, your core group, and your defensive third, and you get Dan Lovitz on one side, you get uh, a rising star and Alistair Johnson on the other, and that's your, your back line. It's real, found some real continuity. Annabal Godoy, it, you know, it was kind of funny. I talked to Mike Jacobs about this, and he said that people laughed when we paid $600,000 uh, in allocation money for Annabal Godoy. Well, two and a half times that was Darlington Nagby, and I'm not going to say Darlington Nagby and Annabal Godoy are the same player. But I will say, if you look at the, the analytics of the two, they have striking similarities in rates of ball retention, possession, balls won. And so you start to go, if we can get a similar type player in that role, and Godoy, who's got, he's nearly, what, a centurion with, uh, with Panama, with the national team, you say two and a half times less transfer fee for that type of player in that sort of ilk. Well, you think you've gotten a lot of things right. You get Randall Leal, Costa Rican, uh, international, who I think is just getting better and better and, and really hasn't even hit his peak yet in his career. Uh, he's the type of player that can give you some real excitement along with Hani Mukhtar, the club's first ever designated player. So um, the spine was the focus. MLS veterans were the focus. You sprinkle in a few young guys in there and a few designated players along the way. And it's uh, built for a really exciting, good foundation to this club that's just going to incrementally get better each transfer window. Got to ask you, Jeremy, because I know our audience will want to know, how is the former Minnesota United forward Abu Dunladi settling into life in Nashville? You know, I think that was a really good pick from Nashville FC. I think it was refreshing for Abu Dunladi um, to maybe get a change of scenery. And look, we all know Abu really well. We know Abu's strengths and maybe some of where his weaknesses are and maybe where some of the improvement can still be had in his career. And um, you guys, when, when I saw him in preseason and in training, I don't think he'd ever look fitter. I don't think he'd ever look stronger. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously had his share of injuries throughout the season, which has always kind of been that one thing, man. If, as you know, if Abu can just put together a string of a couple of months where he's not battling something, a nagging injury, the kid has got so so much potential. Um, I still don't think that Nashville FC has seen the best of Abu Dhamadi. I don't think Major League Soccer has seen the best of Abu Dhamadi. Um, he's getting stronger and stronger as the season goes on. But, uh, but yeah, it's been stop start, you know, for his liking. But you know, he's just such a great kid, isn't he? And and seeing a familiar face, him and Eric Miller when I first got here, well, that was that was nice. That was always good to just. Uh, have, uh, have those two smiling faces, as, as you two will know well. You um, see them here in Nashville, and so I'd, I, the sky's the limit for, for Abu, and, and um, hopefully he just you know gets to be able to see that potential while he's here. 
So, Jamie, going back, if we're looking at the most recent match against New England, and I listened to um, the head coach talk, Gary Smith, after the match, just saying how resilient the group was with everything that you guys have dealt with, the, the issues, you know, mental, emotional, and then heading on the road and having so many players absent, especially from attacking standpoint, to come away with a point on the road at New England and really withstand a ridiculous barrage of shots. What's been the the strength of this team on the pitch. If you're looking at the formation, the style of play, the way he likes to play with the team he throws out there, what would you say is kind of the go-to philosophy and strength of the style of play from, from this Nashville SC side? Well, I think with, with Gary Smith, you, you have the type of manager that's similar with his players like Adrian is with Minnesota United. The players really truly genuinely like the coach and they buy into what he wants. So with, with Gary Smith and his system, it's about being committed with the team and putting the group sort of above yourself. And if the group accomplishes the goal, well then individuals will have success amongst that group. And so um, they went into new England without a healthy center forward on the roster available for that. Um, now, I do think there were a couple of players that were very close to being able to make the trip, but maybe it was just a little too tight of a turnaround. So I'm not sure where that will stand heading into the match um, against Minnesota United. But I do know that what he asked of that group was for everyone to be committed to the shape they wanted to play, pick their moments, when to go forward, uh, at times to be sound defensively. And while I think New England had two-thirds possession on the match, most of that, was th- that possession was kind of, in and around the outsides and across the back line and really having to go from side to side, there was not as many penetrating passes through the midfield. So it was a really um, sound defensive unit. And you go on the road uh, with as much adversity as they, they dealt with last week's Nashville SC team. And you're able to get a point in a difficult place to play. I mean, guys, how many times did, did the three of us go to new England with Minnesota United and, you know, I remember the one game, it was uh, the first year, I think it went 5-2, was it? I mean, at, at Gillette Stadium, New England is very, very good uh, traditionally and historically, and they were able to, to go and get a shutout on the road. The old adage, when it owns high on the road, you, you gladly take a point when you're going into it, then you throw on the adversity. That's why I think it felt so much better getting the point there, and it felt uh, a point felt a little bit like a win, whereas the week before, against Houston where they conceded late on uh, that, that draw felt like a loss. So the team's picking up points and they're walking away disappointed more often than not and not getting three points. That tells you where things are at. I think with the club right now, Jamie, there's been several changes at Minnesota United in terms of the roster since you were last here. What have you made of the campaign under Adrian Heath so far for Minnesota United? Oh man. Well, when it started, Gosh, the, the, the goal seemed like it was 30 yards wide every time Minnesota United were shooting at it. I mean, they, they couldn't miss, right, from from Greg, who's just stunner in San Jose, and Emeria coming in and promising 25 goals and looking like he might have undersold it. I mean, it was there was no hotter team in Major League Soccer uh, from the first initial stoppage. And, look, it was two games, but by the way, it was two very convincing games for Minnesota United. And then, they get to the MLS's back tournament and were stellar. They're right. They weren't supposed to beat the, the Columbus Gurley and they did. And, um, you know, you start to go back and you look at how they were playing in the tournament. And apart from sort of a, a master class from Nani against Orlando city, um, that was the difference in the two teams. And, and since then it's weird because I think that they picked up just a barrage of injury, right? Like Tyler Miller out for the season, your broadcast partner now, some would, uh, some would say big shoes to fill on the sideline down there, but reality, he's uh, he's he's made it look quite easy. He's made uh, he's made it look like there are small shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, I love watching him with you guys on the broadcast. Eichel Parra, I mean, how do you how do you replace the you know the defender of the year in Major League Soccer? You, you don't. Um, Ethan Finley struggling with injuries. Then Greg Rangenstein getting hurt, and so you know there was a game where where. <laughs> I want to say little Fred Emmings, but he's not quite little, is he? He's six foot seven, it feels like. Um, but the youngsters on the bench back at Bain St. Clair, I love seeing him get some games. Um, you know, Sonny Dotson has been stellar as usual. Ozzy Alonso getting injured, that's difficult to replace. 
Um, but how good is the signing of uh, Reynoso been? He's been fantastic to watch. That was a really, really good, persistent bit of business by Mark Watson in his role in Adrian Heath uh, to acquire a player that I think I'm not going to say he's exactly what Miguel Almiron is, but you can start to see some of the similarities of a South American player that comes in. He's so dynamic. Teams from around the world are going to look at him and say, let's keep an eye on him because I feel like in a couple of years' time, the what reported just over $4 million they paid for him at Minnesota. That's going to look cheap for a player like him. And then you go and get Kai Kamara, who I know Adrian has, has loved Kai Kamara for years. Uh, what is he up to? Was it 130? I think you heard. I heard you say on the commentary the other night, Cal. 130 yes, yes. goals. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So I think if you add him in there, and I haven't even mentioned Kevin Molino yet, who's uh, playing stellar, stellar football, and Robin Lud. Um, you know, I, I think this was the Robin Lud that Adrian and his staff thought they were getting initially. Maybe with the stoppage of where he was in the season, picking up late in the middle of the season. You didn't quite get to see in 2019. Now you're seeing it in 2020, and it's like, oh, okay, all right, I get it now. And um, yeah, he's been really, really good. And I love watching Chase Gasper uh, continue to grow. Although I don't believe he'll be in the matchup against Nashville with Willie with the yellow card accumulation. So yeah, yellow. You go on and on. I mean, I was going to say yellow card accumulation is kind of. uh... It's Chase Casper's MO, whether he's good for a yellow card or a red card, <laughs> red card with those hard tackles here and there. Um, Jamie, it was interesting before the Cincinnati match for Minnesota United, listening to Yapstam talk about what their goals are as a club and where FC Cincinnati sits. So when you look at Nashville, which is not in the exact same position as Cincinnati, but he was very realistic in saying game by game goals. We need to find consistency. So when you see this Nashville team, what is the goal you think for 2020? considering how the how it's gone, the bigger picture, the realistic goal for this club? I think every team wants to uh, to qualify for the playoffs. I think you give the, give yourself a, a new season when you get to the playoffs because as you all know, every, anything can happen in the playoffs, good and bad, right? Minnesota United um, getting into the playoffs last year. You thought you had a home match against LA Galaxy. Sure, this is going to be a game. You just you just walk right into the next round of the playoffs. And, and then it doesn't happen. That was the surprise the other way. Um, when then you get other teams that make these these crazy runs through the playoffs and the way that the season is sort of truncated into this this new schedule with a different playoff system, you know, 10 teams get in. And right now, I think over the past, I want to say month or so, roughly around a month, um, Nashville's been sitting above the playoff line in the Eastern Conference. So I think that's always the, the goal and the aim. Um, and I think that the rate at which Nashville is picking up points right now, um, I think the playoffs are very realistic goal. And then you go from there and see where you're at. So, um, it's, it's very difficult to sort of judge any, any team, I think on this season, I think every team is just trying to keep their head above water in 2020. But the fact that Nashville has done as well as they have and sit where they are and have a foundation that they've built do as many stop starts. I think it gives you so many signs of positivity, encouragement to build on. And then just around the corner, much like you saw what Allianz Field did for Minnesota United, well, Nashville FC is building their own stadium. And um, yeah, it's just, there's so much to be excited for here in Nashville. And, and I feel very fortunate to be a part of it. Hey, I'll let Cal wrap it up. I just wanted to say, you know, congratulations on the role. And of course, you know, please tell Kaylee hello. And hopefully she's feeling good. I know you've got, I think, another one on the way or around the corner here. I can't remember the exact due date. It's hard to keep track of everybody around here. But but uh, congrats on that. And tell Kaylee hello. Oh, very sweet. So, uh, so Bobby, we said hello and, uh, and say hello to Addie. I imagine she's just getting bigger and bigger and just keeping you running around ragged as a mom. You, I don't know how you moms do it. You're amazing. And yeah, we've got, uh, uh, we've got a little one on the way, uh, due in, in December. So, uh, as if two wasn't crazy enough, let's throw a third in the mix, but third time was a triumph. I get to be a girl dad. So I'm very excited. So, um, nice. So yeah, now you're playing, to, uh, playing, you guys. playing zone defense. Now you'll be outnumbered. Oh, and all the, uh, all the well wishes. I'll need them. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, good to hear your voice again. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. 
you guys, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it'll be a great match. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll all catch up afterwards. And uh, it, it's great to be back on the podcast. And uh, thanks to all the uh, the wonderful listeners that are uh, that are still tuning in. If they if they haven't turned off by now, um, you guys uh, you do a great great job with the podcast. And uh, and even you too, Morgan Lubin, producer extraordinaire, who makes it all happen. So uh, miss you guys. Uh, great chatting with you. And uh, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll we'll ch- catch back up after the game and uh, and share some funny stories from that. I'm sure. Wonderful. Look forward to it. That is Jamie Watson, the analyst of Nashville SC, formerly, of course, of Minnesota United. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Kendra. It does seem like it's fairly upbeat at Nashville SC at the moment. And with the record that Jamie Watson described to us, there's every reason to be, especially at Nissan Stadium at the moment. Well, especially the way that the season has gone for them. I mean, we talk about the difficulties of any club in 2020 and what they've had to endure and trying to be in a, you know, a new club in MLS with the expansion side and then um, not even being allowed to go to MLS's back. I mean, that is just a gut punch. And it's maybe even different. You have an established club it happens to FC Dallas that's one thing but now you have a club that's just coming into the league and trying to find their footing and had such a fantastic opening match as as Jamie just alluded to the nearly 60,000 people at the game they've got to feel good about where they're at despite everything that they've been through and that's just talking off the field things where you know look at their actual roster and the injuries they've had to endure and trying to build the roster and Gary Smith trying to get the team to play the way he wants them to play and put the pieces to the puzzle together and um yeah I mean I think they're going to feel good about it I mean getting that 0-0 draw at New England they was literally just pummeled by shots and Joe Willis standing on his head and um, you know their defense has come through time and time again now if they can get the offense healthy and get them clicking but yeah getting one point um, on the road and getting a draw on the road is really you know all you can ask for in those situations in the current situation they're in this is the, the thing as well that we've we've got to be aware of as well Okay, I think um, we're recording this on Monday, so we don't know what the team's going to look like on Tuesday, obviously. But when you look at their injury list, it is perhaps about as eye-watering as Minnesota United's at the moment as well. And especially from an attacking point of view as well, they started away at the Revolution with Derek Jones up front. Derek Jones, traditionally a central midfielder. Yeah, and that they said that going in, they're missing five attacking players. And you just heard Jamie say they don't have a true number nine that they took with them on that trip. And it's hard to it's hard to, you know, feel really bad for any team that's dealing with injuries right now in the sense that everybody has had their fair share of situations to deal with. But when you're missing an entire core of one section of the field, meaning all your attacking players, basically, that's a different situation. If you have an outside back missing here, a central midfielder here, an attacking player there, you know, you can kind of plug and play and you have some versatile players like Minnesota United does, for example, with Hassani Dotson or Raheem Edwards or Marlon Harrison. You can kind of move them around and they can play different areas but when you're literally missing every attacking piece on your roster that that it could be available to play that is a massive challenge for a coach and for a team but it's interesting too how depending on the personality of the team and sort of what's been instilled how they can rally around that situation you know the rest of your team can go well everybody's counting us out for this game because we're missing you know and you go down the list of all the players you're missing and then instead you rally around it and say we're going to prove everybody wrong and and come out here and, and light the world on fire and it sounds like Gary Smith is that kind of coach that he can kind of rally the troops everyone believes in the cause and you do have some really solid veteran leadership in a Dax McCarty and a Walker Zimmerman guys who have been through the ups and downs of different seasons and teams and challenges and weather those storms and I think that's what they've been able to do so far and you know you're you're feeling good coming back home too I believe they're having fans in the stands for this match on Tuesday I mean you're coming back home back in front of those fans um, on Tuesday night off of a draw and hopefully getting a couple players off that that list of injuries I mean who knows and uh, trying to ride this ship till the end I mean the playoff race is closer than we think it's nearer than we think in this weird 2020 and they know every game counts every game means a lot it does indeed and the other side to this, Minnesota United will understand that as well. But with such a short turnaround, Kendra, one would expect a handful at the very least of changes for this game against Nashville. Yes, you would You would have to. And we kind of alluded to that in the postgame match. Um, now, some of it is you want a handful of changes, but who is available to put in to make those changes? 
Um, I think the benefit for Minnesota is that they aren't coming off a road game. So compared to Nashville, who did have to kind of travel at the maybe a little later than they had planned on to New England because they had a positive test and they were kind of testing everybody else, making sure everybody got the two negatives in the clear before they flew to New England. So Nashville had to deal with that. That's the emotional other aspect, whereas Minnesota United at least had the, the home games. They weren't traveling. Um, but yes, with the tight turnaround, Saturday, Tuesday, it just it feels nuts. I don't know how these other sports do it where they have games every day, every other day. Um, this is this is a, a, a tough task for Minnesota United. We'll see if Ozzie and Ethan are available. We'll see, um, you know, hopefully Kevin Molino came out of that match unscathed and the minutes he got back on the pitch. And then you've got uh, Chase Gasper, who is going to miss due to the yellow card accumulation. Fortunately, you have some depth in that position. Um, but Baki Devasi looked fabulous on Saturday night, but that looks probably like the hardest game I've seen him play as far as tackles and challenges and, um, kind of the movement he was asked to do for the full 90. So we'll see, but I would expect some changes if the changes are available. That's the biggest piece for Adrian Heath, and we'll find out today on his media availability this afternoon. What would you do then with Chase Gasper unavailable? As you said, there's plenty of options, but if you're the head coach, what would you do? I would put Baki Debasi out there if he's good to go, and I would put Jose Aha and Boxy back in next to each other in the center back role and uh, keep Roma Metaner out there, who's looked fantastic as well. Um, so I would I would go with that for my back four. I mean, that was kind of the purpose of bringing in Baki Debasi is his versatility, his ability to just be a left-sided defender, whether that's a center back, a left center back, um, or whatever it, it needs to be. That's that's the that's the beauty of having him in the roster and in the rotation. If a Chase Gasper went down with injury, if he was for some reason off on international duty, whatever it might be, red card, yellow card accumulation, you have that flexibility to still have a solid left-footed player um, available for you. And if he's good to go with the tight turnaround, we'll see how Regen went. Um, that's what I would do on the back line. And I don't think you need to do anything differently from a defensive shape on the road at, at Nashville. I really don't. I think Adrian could go out there with his favored lineup and um, try to get this three points on the road. Just finally, Kay, would you now, if it was offered to you, given the circumstances and the, and the quick turnaround, would you take a point at Nashville if it was offered? Or, or is this a game that Minnesota needs to be realistically looking at and saying this is a team, with all due respect to Nashville SC, that we should be beating? Yeah, no, I think they need the three points. I think, and, and absolutely right, all due respect to Nashville. And, but, and I know it's a road game, and I know it's a tight turnaround. But if you have those players available that we just talked about, and you do have some depth in your roster, quality depth that you can put out on the pitch, um, I think that they should be wanting and and deserving and expecting, that's the word I'm looking for, expecting three points on the road against this Nashville club. Wonderful. Kinduli St. Alban, as always, thank you very much. Our thanks to Jamie Watson, Nashville SC, for figuring that out, and to our producer, Morgan Lupin, as well. We'll see you Tuesday evening, Fox Sports North. Of course, you can listen to the game on Score North as well, as Minnesota United take to the road and face Nashville SC for the very first time. We'll see you 7 p.m., Fox Sports North, on Tuesday evening.